Jesus is speaking and says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life or one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The Word of Life. So last Sunday in worship, we read the first eight verses from this 15th chapter where Jesus begins using this image of vine and branches for our relationship with Him. I suggested to you that in those first eight verses, the word abide was the key to understanding what Jesus was trying to emphasize when He began to talk with them about abiding in His love. Today, Jesus backs up a little bit in a sense to make sure that these disciples to whom He's speaking remember how all of this begins. Where is the origination point? In verse 9, we heard Jesus say, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me. Jesus is making this theological point that all of this begins with God. So often people get confused and begin to think that their salvation has to do with them or begins with them or ends with them. But the Gospels always point out that this starts with God. That God's love is what initiates all of this. Ever since Martin Luther, writing some 500 years ago during what started the Protestant Reformation, we have been honing in on this idea of God's love starting everything that God initiates, God creates, God created all that is, and God's created you and me. And God loves us. And that's how we are saved. This idea that our salvation is by faith via God's grace. That is, it's not based on our works or our worthiness. It's not something we earn. It's something that God offers to us out of God's great love for us. So you hear it in verse 9. As the Father has loved me... So, Christ says, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you were here last week, you might remember that when Reverend Venable was reading the epistle, we heard this same idea from 1 John in chapter 4. You heard this line. We love because God first loved us. We love, we are able to love because God initiated it. 
God loved us first. And our love and everything else is in response to that. This agape or this kind of love that wills the good, that is willing to do the good, who's willing to go beyond oneself and out of one's way to do good for someone else, that kind of love comes from God, flows through Christ into our lives. And once in our lives, if we're a part of the body of Christ, is to flow through us into the world even today. It's the image of vine and branches. That we are the branches. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The life-giving love, the source, the sustenance comes from God through Christ into us and it's supposed to go out from us into the lives of others. Jesus expands on that in verse 10 when He says, If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. You can see the importance of of this connection, a vital connection with Christ, which animates our life as followers of His. Jesus goes on to list two advantages or benefits or gifts that come to us when we abide in the love of Christ. The first one we find in verse 11, where Jesus says, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So that my joy may be in you or Christ's joy in you and your joy complete. Receive the joy that comes from God. Receive the joy of the Father who loves you. Receive the joy of Christ. Receive the joy of what it means to be connected like a branch to a vine in terms of our connection to Christ. Can you think of a time when your joy was full or complete? When your joy was all-encompassing, maybe even overflowing? Think about a time like that. Let it sink deep into your core, that fullness of joy. And then hear this good news. That is what God intends for your life. God intends for your life to be full of joy so that your joy might be complete. It's one of the benefits of abiding in Christ or abiding in the love of Christ. It's the vine and branches image amplified. The second advantage, which was in the very last verse we read, verse 17, says this. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. So that you may love one another. Not that you have to, Not that you must, but so that you may. The idea is that we need help from God through Christ to embody this love. Having the capacity to love one another is a gift of abiding in Christ. Eugene Peterson was the fellow that spent about a decade 
reading through the Bible in original languages and then translating it into common vernacular English. It's called the message translation, really a paraphrase, but the whole Bible written in some refreshing and often insightful ways. Well, he is a biblical scholar, but right out of seminary, he writes about how much he was excited to be a Christian minister. He was on fire for Jesus, and his denomination was starting new churches, and so he got a call and an opportunity to go start a new church. He was very excited about this. He writes about how he and his wife moved to a new city and were looking for a house or a home, particularly looking for one that was large enough where they could set up a hundred chairs so he could invite people in and start this church. He said as he thought about it, kind of the image he had of the people he was looking for, he calls green berets for Jesus a different kind of image. But he said he just knew he was going to find people who were willing to lead the charge for the cause of Christ. People willing to make risk, who would, would make sacrifices on behalf of the love of God, who wanted their lives transformed because they were followers of Jesus. So he said he went for six weeks door to door, knocking on these doors, telling everybody who would listen what was going on and how excited he was. And he was going to start this new church in this developing neighborhood. And they were invited. He said as he went door to door, he just knew he was going to find these people. After doing that for six weeks, he says he sent a letter to anybody he met that even showed a hint of interest and invited them to his home for the first gathering of this new church. He said 46 people showed up. But he said with great disappointment, he realized none of them were Green Berets for Jesus. <laughs> he said they didn't come ready to sacrifice and take risk. They came with problems and struggles and issues that were hard to manage and deal with. They were not ready to be on the front lines. He said he realized that just about everything he had in his mind about this ideal church was wrong. It was not going to happen that way. And he said he realized he had lots of learning to do to figure out how to work with these people that he still believed God was drawing into this church, calling into this faith community. But he says it was going to have to be very different than he had imagined. Verse 17 says, I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. So that you may. It's harder than you might think to love one another. Actually, you could say it's probably impossible to love everyone in God's family without God's love shaping and forming you and me and anyone who would be willing to try into the image of Christ. Loving everyone in God's family is a big proposition. It's a difficult task. Jesus spoke of it in the verses we read last week, back up there in verse 4, when He said, Abide in Me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you 
abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. But if we're going to embody the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, He's telling us we've got to stay connected to the source, to God, to this divine love that God is pouring into the world through Jesus Christ. The fruit that Jesus expects and that we should expect from this vital connection with Christ is full joy and ongoing agape love. Love and joy should be the marks, the characteristics of our life in Christ. I thought it interesting as I was reading through this to think about Paul writing to the early Christians at Galatia some three decades probably after this experience. And you remember, he writes about the fruits of the Spirit. And you remember what the first two are that he lists, what your life should look like if you're empowered by the Spirit? Love and joy. Love and joy. Those are the hallmarks. Those are the characteristics of a life vitally connected to Christ. In 1869, two women who were missionaries with their husbands in India came home to the United States on furlough. They wanted to tell people about their Christian missionary experience in India. They gathered eight women in Boston, Massachusetts to tell them what they had learned. They said conditions are desperate. The state of health care is terrible. They have a lack of doctors, but also because of culture, male doctors cannot treat females. We need help. They also said that education, especially for girls, was almost non-existent. They said we could really use a female doctor and a female educator Those women, those eight women, listened intently. They called a second meeting a few days later. They wrote a constitution and they organized to begin to try to meet this need. They called themselves the Methodist Woman's Foreign Missionary Society. They began to raise funds to support two women who might respond to the call. By November 1869, they had enough money to send two women, and in fact, they had found them both, a female doctor and a female educator willing to go to India to serve those that they would find there in the name of Christ. When they got there, they began working on the school for girls and they were able to establish a wonderful school for girls that grew and over the years became the first women's college in Asia. They were also beginning the medical work at the same time and they were able to get a good start on that as well. And they finally were able to establish a clinic and then a hospital that became the first women's hospital in Asia. That's the spirit of United Methodist Women. I think it's remarkable. Both of those institutions are still serving now 100, 150 years later, serving people in need in India, even as we speak. These different denominations that 
finally became one in 1968 that we called the United Methodist Church. All had women's organizations. They've sent hundreds of women into the mission field, into the world, to spread love and joy to people around the world, particularly focusing on ministry to women and children, as so often they are the most vulnerable people in society. They do remarkable work. In 1973... All these different organizations came together. The ladies' aid societies had joined the foreign mission societies as well. And in that year, 1973, officially they became the United Methodist Women. They have done phenomenal work. But it's not only around the world or in international settings, but even right here locally, our own Boston Avenue United Methodist Women lead us in great ministry. They help us support the children's home in Tahlequah and the boys' ranch at Gore. Both of those are ministries for children who can no longer live in their home of origin for one reason or another. Some of them live there just a short time. Others are there for years. But the United Methodists, chiefly through the support of the United Methodist women, are able to provide that kind of home setting for those children who are in need. Here locally in Tulsa, our United Methodist women also work closely with Pearl's Hope, Pearl was a United Methodist woman that wanted to do a ministry for women. She left a large estate, and we were able to establish here in Tulsa this ministry to help women in crisis, chiefly when they're facing homelessness, keep their family together. It is a place where they can live with their children and have training and help in terms of education and finding jobs and finding the resources they need so that they can move through this crisis in their lives. Our United Methodist women support that ministry. They also lead us in our Project Transformation, which is our summer reading program for children that we've done now for several years that helps elementary-age students primarily stay on level for their reading or maybe even grow in their reading abilities over the summer. They support Tulsa's emergency infant services, and the list goes on. They also work with our middle school students. Many of them were here at our 830 service. Some of them you will see middle school and high school students who will be serving communion, representing the United Methodist women. But you may know, or maybe not, every time we baptize an infant here at Boston Avenue, you see me hand them a baby blanket. It's our middle school UMW girls that provide and make all of those. Our senior high United Methodist Women's Group works particularly with our Lindsay House, which is a phenomenal ministry, helping women who have been incarcerated move back into society. It provides a safe and supportive environment where they can live with their children as they're moving back in to everyday life. I told you this all started with eight women. Now, United Methodist Women number over 800,000. And that's why I tell you this story, because I suggest to you that the UMW is a great example of vine and branches of the fruit that grows when we abide in the love of Christ. They are an example to us all. I want to close today this portion of the service to read these words of Christ to you once again at the last of our reading today. He says... 
I do not call you servants any longer. Because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. Because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So that the Father will give you whatever you ask Him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love agape, that you may love one another. Amen and thanks be to God.